Father, thank you so much for the privilege it is to be gathered together on this special day. As we look to your word, we pray that you'd give us eyes to see, that you'd help us, Lord, to lean in and receive from you, to believe, Lord, that you're good and loving and you have something very important to speak to our hearts. So help us to receive it that way, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Have you ever wondered, does it really matter if Jesus rose from the dead? The resurrection is a big deal. Without it, Christianity has no salvation, no acceptance, no deliverance. Without it, Jesus becomes a liar, a fake. Even worse than that, a delusional man. If Jesus has been raised, then that changes everything. Now, we believe Jesus died. Christians believe Jesus died. Now, when I say he died, I mean he died. No heartbeat, no breath in his lungs, dead as dead could be. And he died a death on a cross, and it was intentional in every way. He did it on purpose, yes, at the hands of Roman authorities and Jewish leaders, but Jesus knew it was the very reason he was born. Jesus died. Three days later, we find in Luke chapter 24, we're going to spend time in Luke 24 this morning, three days later, A small group of women are on their way to anoint Jesus' body, to honor Jesus in his death, but they can't find his body. They went to the tomb. They found the stone was rolled away. They didn't find the body of Jesus. Instead, they encountered two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning, who totally freaked them out, by the way, who brought them to their knees, trembling. And these men, they asked an important question. These were angelic beings. They asked an important question. Why do you look for the living among the dead? Good question. Valerie and I, just a few years back, we went to Savannah, Georgia, and we visited this really old cemetery. I forget the name of it, uh, but it was beautiful and full of dead people. We were not looking for the living among the dead. Then these angelic beings, these guys, they say it just straight up. He's not here. Verse six, he's not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you? The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. The women remembered, and they run to tell the other disciples. And the disciples, when they hear this report from the women, they don't believe them. And it says in verse 11 of Luke 24, because their words seemed to them like nonsense, like an incredible tale. Don't you love the honesty of Scripture? But Peter, upon hearing their report, he books it to the tomb, and he sees the empty tomb for himself. He sees the linen uh, cloths lying there. He walks away in a daze. His heart is beating so hard, it's about to burst from his chest, just thoughts just swirling around in his head. And that's where I want to pick up. In Luke 24, after Peter sees the empty tomb, and then walks away. And we're going to look at two appearings this morning. First, Jesus appears to two disciples with sleepy hearts. And then second, he appears to 11 disciples with fearful hearts. So two appearings. And the first we're going to look at starting in verse 13 of Luke 24. It says, Now that same day, the day that they came upon the tomb and it was empty, 
that same day, two of them, two of the disciples, were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. And he asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and the rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, stay with us for it's nearly evening and the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven, and those with them assembled together, saying, it's true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. And we'll pause there. Two disciples with sleepy hearts. Have you ever had an arm or a foot fall asleep? I mean, people don't usually like it when that happens. I remember taking a nap one afternoon and I woke up with both of my arms uh, above my head and I couldn't couldn't feel either one of my arms. It was was really weird. They didn't feel like my own. But as soon as you start to move that body part, whether it's your foot, your hand, your arms, what happens? That painful, tickle-type tingle begins to happen. And the only way to stop that painful, tickle-type tingle, say that ten times fast, is to stop in your tracks, to not move that body part. But if you want to wake it up, you've got to press through it. <laughs> you've got to stir that, that hand or that foot. In order to wake up that arm or that foot, you're, it has to be moved. Their hearts were sleepy to the reality of what Scripture spoke of the Messiah. And Jesus comes alongside them, and he he begins to wake up their sleepy hearts. They're on their way to Emmaus, three days after Jesus died. You think, are they sad? No, I want you to think baffled, confused, despair, grief, agony. How could this happen? Wasn't Jesus the rescuer? Wasn't he the king that God had promised us? It's not supposed to end this way. That's what they're thinking. Then in verse 16, 
Jesus shows up, but they don't recognize him. This is like the show Undercover Boss. (laughs) What happens? He begins to listen to what they were talking about and asking questions. Listen, these disciples had, had seen their hope nailed to a cross in Jerusalem. The irony is that their new traveling friend, the one they're explaining the recent events to, is actually Jesus himself. And they tell Jesus all the things that have taken place. And Jesus lovingly rebukes them and explains what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. And what he essentially does is he takes them to school. I want you to imagine the conversation that he had with them. He speaks of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms. This is shorthand for the whole Old Testament. And he starts to reveal and just speak to them the truth of what the Old Testament said about him and about what had to be fulfilled. Now, when someone begins to talk about a topic that you love and in a way that begins to make sense, in a way you never really grasped before, you want to hear more. You just want him to keep going, just like you do this morning with me. <laughs> I'm just messing. I hope so. But you, you, don't, you don't check out. You want to hear more. And Jesus was, it's kind of funny, he was pretending to move on, and they're like, no, stay. Oh, okay, all right. <laughs> Here's what happened. These disciples had a narrow view of Jesus' plan of redemption. They had limited, limited Jesus' plan of redemption, his rescue plan, to Israel only, to national Israel. So in their minds, it's just incomprehensible that the Messiah, the King, the Anointed One, who would deliver Israel would die such a humiliating and shameful death like crucifixion. But they weren't taking their understanding of redemption far enough. It wasn't just for national Israel. It was for the world. And it would be done in such a way that they didn't understand it yet. But Jesus was beginning to wake their hearts. Jesus meets them in their grief. I love that. He meets them in their sorrow. He addresses their misconceptions. He addresses their misunderstandings. And then he explains from... Genesis to Revelation, he tells that story of God's grace. Well, Revelation wasn't written yet, so (laughs) he explains from the Old Testament. But listen, the whole story of the Bible, we can say now from Genesis to Revelation, tells the story of God's grace. It's one unified story. It's the master plan of, of salvation through Jesus. And the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus is the centerpiece of this story. Jesus holds these stories together. Like, like a thread holding, uh, of a necklace holding the beads together. Now, what did Jesus say to Cleopas and, and to his friend, potentially his wife, who were walking on the road to Emmaus? Jesus would have spoken the truth that he is the true Israel of God, the true Son of God, who obeyed the Father to the fullest. Jesus would have uh, said something that he is the true temple of, of God, the true dwelling place of God. Or that Jesus is the true priest of God. All the priests who had come before were just a foreshadow, were just a shadow of the one who would come. He's the priest of God. He's the only mediator between God and man. Or that Jesus is the final sacrifice. He's the lamb of God that all the other sacrifices were pointing to. Or that Jesus is the true king of God, ruling and reigning over all things for all time. I could keep going. And then they begin to share a meal together. But Jesus, and it's worded in such a way where uh, he breaks bread, where they would have been, like, I believe, celebrating 
Passover or communion. And he breaks it in such a way that they would have, they would have recognized or seen this before. And in a moment, their eyes are opened And just like that, everything changed for these two disciples. What had been the saddest day of their lives suddenly becomes the the happiest day of their life. What they thought was the end of their hopes, the death of Jesus on the cross, was the fulfillment of their hopes. And they said, were not our hearts burning when he spoke the scriptures to us? Our hearts came alive. We started to put it all together. He was He was enabling us to put it together. He was helping us. He opened our eyes to the scriptures. And that's what Jesus did. This is what Jesus chose to do after his resurrection. Well, these two, they they couldn't just keep it to themselves. So they book it back to Jerusalem. And when they get to the 11 who were already gathered, who were already excited because Jesus had appeared to Peter, they try to get a word in but they couldn't even get a word in before the 11 give them their, their report. Jesus woke these sleepy hearts. The second thing we see here is the 11 disciples with fearful hearts and how Jesus addresses their fearful hearts. And let's begin now in verse 36. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. They were startled and frightened thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, why are you troubled and why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, see, they just couldn't believe what was happening. That's what's being communicated here. They, they saw what was happening in front of them, but because of joy and amazement, this is like too good to be true type stuff. They couldn't believe it. And he asked them, do you have anything to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish and, and he took it and ate it in their presence. I imagine as he was eating this, you could hear a pin drop. They're just kind of staring at him, putting that fish in his mouth. See, I'm not a ghost. And he said to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. You see, there he goes again. He begins to explain what had to be fulfilled, what had to be accomplished. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. And he told them, this is what is written. The Messiah, the anointed king, will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. Now I'm going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. The the very thing he's speaking of, this power, the thing that God had promised to send is the Spirit of God who would be with the people of God and empower them for the mission he was sending them on. Eleven disciples with fearful hearts, of course they're afraid. I mean, if Jesus appeared that way to us, I mean, I, we'd be scared too. They're stunned. And they're pretty much just paralyzed. You know that moment, someone that you weren't expecting comes and pays a visit a family member or a best friend they come from out of town and they surprise you you're like ah what what are you doing here 
my birthday and you came to visit or whatever, you know. You just didn't expect it. And you're just, you, you, you don't know if you want to laugh or if, if you want to cry. And, and I believe that's what they were experiencing. They didn't know if they wanted to laugh or cry. Somebody pinched me. What's going on here? How are you supposed to feel when something so out of the ordinary like this happens? Well, Jesus in that moment speaks peace. And the word is shalom, speaks of this restoration and wholeness. And that's what he speaks to them. He speaks wholeness and peace to them. In verse 41, it says, they did not believe it because of joy and amazement. It seemed too good to be true. Now, I want you to put yourself there. I want you to imagine how you would have responded. Jesus, in their presence, is physical, but he's different. He does everything he can, though, to assure his disciples that he's truly alive. He appeals to their senses. They can hear him. They can see him. They can touch him. He eats this broiled fish in front of them. And he says, everything I told you while I was with you comes down to this. It comes down to this. In other words, it must be fulfilled or be brought to completion or accomplished. This is what had to happen. And, And listen, this again is what Jesus chose to do after his resurrection, so it must be important. What is our understanding of the scriptures? What's our understanding in particular of the Old Testament? What's it pointing to? How does Jesus fulfill it? Very important uh, truths to wrestle with and think through. Well, Jesus, it says, opens their understanding of the scriptures. And and then he he begins to explain to them uh, from the scriptures how all these things had to happen. And he wasn't collecting just a few isolated passages, verses at random. No, he's saying the whole story from Genesis to Malachi points forward to a fulfillment that could only make sense when God's anointed, the Messiah, takes on Israel's suffering and the world's suffering. Do do you hear that? It could only make sense if God's Messiah, the one who was promised to come, took on Israel's suffering, Israel's pain, Israel's sin, and the world's, and died under its weight and rose again. It had to happen this way, is what he's saying. And guess what? It just did. What was written? The Messiah will suffer and rise on the third day and repentance or total life change. Forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name. Does it really matter if Jesus rose from the dead was the question we started with. If Jesus has not been raised, then Christians are to be pitied more than all men. That's what scripture says. Let's turn there. Let's go to 1 Corinthians and look at it for ourselves. Paul writing to the Corinthians, the church of Corinth, in chapter 15, he's addressing or responding to false teachers that said there was no resurrection of the dead, that once you died, you died. And he's responding to them, and he's writing, and this is what he says in Corinthians 15, starting in verse 1. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel, the good news that I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. This is what matters the most, Paul says, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Now, when he says according to the scriptures, he's speaking of the Old Testament. 
Christ died according, the Messiah died according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared more than five to, to uh, 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living. He's saying, go, go talk to them yourself. Though some have fallen asleep, some have died. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared also to me as to one abnormally born. Go down to verse 12. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are uh, then found to be false witnesses about God. For we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he, did not, but he did not raise him if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, listen, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. I mean, let's just go do something else with our lives. What are we doing here? Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have died or fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. Does it matter? It matters. I want to close with a brief list of why it matters and what it means that Jesus rose from the dead. First, the resurrection means Jesus is the perfect and final sacrifice for our sins. Listen, the resurrection proves the life that Jesus lived for us in perfect obedience and the death that he died as a substitute was acceptable to the Father. It's the validation or the full-on endorsement, that stamp of approval, that his sacrifice was perfect. He was raised to life. Second, the resurrection means Jesus is who he claimed to be. He said he was going to die and be raised. And he was. It's the guarantee that he is the Messiah, the anointed one, who came to redeem, oh no, not just national Israel, but the world. All the nations who would look to him. Third, the resurrection means Jesus provides reconciliation with God. This is beautiful. We've, we, all of us, all of us need reconciliation. All of us need our relationship with God to be healed. All of us have a broken relationship with the living God because of our own sinful hearts and rebellion. We're all in that camp. And the wages of sin is, is death. The payment of sin is death. Well, Jesus paid the price. The power of sin is death. He overcame the power of sin. We cannot pay the penalty of our sin. We can't overcome the power of sin. But Jesus did both. He provides reconciliation with God. Fourth, the resurrection means new life is available to us by the Spirit of God. 
New life is available right now. I want to show you this. It's just so cool. Look with me at Romans chapter 8, verse 11. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. If Jesus has been raised and if his spirit lives in you, you as well have new life. New life. And that life is for here and now in the present to live to his glory and it's life forevermore. Five, the resurrection means future resurrection is certain. We can be confident in the face of death that death does not have the final say. Christ being the first fruits or the one who goes before us in his, in his glory and, and is resurrected, we too will be raised to life. Sixth, the resurrection means the promises of God to fix or to heal this broken world are met in Jesus. Listen, I know the world is messed up. I know that it's broken. I know uh, we all know that. We live in a broken world. We all are wrestling with it. Death and decay and pain and sorrow. And Christianity answers the brokenness. We have an answer for the brokenness. We know how it got broken. And we have a God who is doing something and has done something about the brokenness. A God who took on flesh, the stuff we're made of, and entered uh, space and time. And, and entered our broken world in the person of his son. And lived a perfect life for us. And died a death in our place. That we could have life and be reconciled to him. It's not a fairy tale. It almost sounds, if we really think about it, it sounds too good to be true. And we could, like the disciples, shake our head and say, what? No way. When we start talking that way, that it feels too good to be true, that's when we're starting to understand grace. Grace should feel that way. Like, what? God, you, you did this for, for us? You're not indifferent? You're not uninvolved? You're personal? You want a relationship with me? You've gone the distance to do something to reconcile me to yourself and give me life and hope? Yes. The answer is yes. In Christ, he's done it. It changes everything. The resurrection of Jesus is something we cannot take credit for. We can't reproduce. We can't manipulate or control in any way. But it is something that all of us will respond to. All of us. I don't know how you're responding to it this morning. I don't know how new it is. All of us have heard, I would imagine, about Jesus. How many of you have gone to the source for yourself to see who this Jesus is? I respect you tremendously for being here this morning and looking to the source and wrestling with these truths. If you're a Christian, my hope, my prayer has been that you would just be filled with joy, that today would be a a sweet day of celebration, the victory won for us. If you're not a believer, I respect you for being here, for listening to these words, for celebrating with us and considering the claims of Christ. Keep wrestling. But my encouragement beyond that is look to Jesus. You don't have to have all your answers, all your questions answered today for your heart to come awake. What if you do believe? Maybe for the first time, what should you do? Nothing matters more 
than how you respond to Jesus. And Jesus said, repent and believe. Turn away from your life, centering your life on you, and look to Jesus as king. Center your life on him. Bow your life. Come to him with all your sin and shame and say, uh, here, here it is. This is what I'm contributing to this relationship. That's what he wants you to bring. And what does he do? He wipes it away. He brings healing. And you start a new life in Christ. And that's why when you meet a Christian, you should meet someone who's humbled by grace and love, who's moved by the love of God in Christ. But what do we have to boast in? That, that I'm, I'm, I'm good enough? Or I'm smart enough? Or what, what, what? I brought my sin. That's what I've contributed. But God, you've lavished your grace on me. And now I'm humbled by it. My life has been changed. And now you've invited me into your mission. You've invited me into genuine relationship. You've invited me into beautiful community. You've, you've, you've given me hope. This is what I was made for. God is able to wake your sleepy heart and speak peace to your fearful heart. I know he is because he did it in my life. He can do it in your life too. Jesus is God's answer to the hurt and the pain and the brokenness and all the longings of our hearts. So what do you say? You ready? Let's pray. Father, thank you for what you've done in in Jesus. It's hard to grasp. It is. It's hard to believe. It's so sweet. It's so beautiful. Thank you for waking hearts. Thank you for meeting us in places of fear. Thank you for bringing understanding and clarity. Lord, you know my prayer has been that you would bring joy, that you would refresh. Lord, that you would bring salvation. Lord, if anyone is here today who hasn't taken that step, that bold step of of looking to Jesus as Savior, Lord, would you do that work right now by your Spirit? Lord, give them that courage and that humility and boldness to to make that step. Father, thank you so much that you've brought us together and that we can celebrate the beauty of reconciliation, the beauty of resurrection and what it means for our lives. We love you. And we thank you for your love for us. In Jesus' name, amen.